I'm saying sacrilegious things that are the most biblical things I can find in my Bible. Because we live in this weird day and age. Why? Because all of us want to reference ourselves. We want to be self-generated. And when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, your life is not self-generated. It's generated through the finished work of you. It's cruciform shape. It's not ego. It's the cross. It's not the flesh. It's the Spirit of God working through the finished work of Jesus. Pastor Daniel had a good point there. We tend to put ourselves first and others second. You could say it's human nature and you'd be right, but does that make it right? (laughs) Not at all. If you've put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you've been given the chance to live differently, to live like Him. So today as you listen, remember that the opposite of your instincts is probably the better choice. Seek what Jesus would want and then do it. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 6 as he continues his message, The Four Horsemen. God is saying, I've gone as long as I could. Some of you parents know what this is like, where if you have a wayward child who is destructive, where you try and help, you try and help, you bend over backwards, and at some point you're like, okay, this can't continue anymore. And God... The Bible says, is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so really what it is, is that we're right now living in a day and age of grace, where God is saying, I am not willing that people to be lost, so I'm holding back, winding this thing down, so that people can come to know me. And at some point, really, at some point, Revelation 6-1 happens, and now God is saying, okay, this has gone on long enough. Now it's time to wind this thing down so I can make it right again. Does that make sense? So God is not just with vengeance bringing judgment on the earth because he doesn't care about people. He has already said, this is the disease, this is the cure. But he hits a point where he's like, listen, you don't want what's going to help you, and this is going to go the way it goes when it goes this way. And so God is glorified in his judgment, but God is even more glorified in the fact that he is patient in his judgment because he wants to bring redemption. Does that make sense? So really, Revelation 6.1, now this moment, Jesus receiving the scroll and popping the first seal, this is now a turn in history where now all of a sudden, God's winding down his creation the way that it's functioning. Now, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I do know that until it happens, the job of the people of God is exactly the same. Like, listen, like, I love studying scriptures. And, I, and I've been, I'm part of a, a family of churches where you hear prophecy updates all the time. What's funny is I've heard hundreds of prophecy updates. And what's amazing is, is all this stuff, most of it doesn't actually happen the way the guy thinks it is. They're just reading the news and they're kind of reading it into the scriptures. But what is funny is that every time I wake up and Jesus hasn't come back yet, I'm like, my job is exactly the same today. I got to love God and love people. I got to get the gospel out. Like, we get so caught up on all the details that we miss, like, hey, our job is exactly the same, to be the people of God, to be salt and light in the world. Does that make sense? And until the first seal starts, 
it's like a different era of human history where now you're at the point where like this thing is going to wind down. It's like less than a decade of time from the time the first seal shows up to the time that Jesus comes back. Now, I don't know when that's going to happen, but I do know that we should be living our lives the right way, not because time is winding down, but because it's the right thing to do. It is what we're called to by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You want to class? Good, right? That's a Bible for you. Okay, so now we jump in. Now, how many of you remember the four living creatures? Okay, some of you. We, we, we met them in Revelation 4 and 5. There's these four living creatures. They're angels. They got uh, all different faces, four different faces. They got a bunch of wings, all eyes. I always like to say, how awkward would that be if someone's all eyes? You know what I mean? But each one of these angels, when Jesus opens a seal... One of these four living creatures from Revelation 4 and 5 says to John, come and see. And then John is able to see. So the first one, look, verse 2, I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, because I want to give you good biblical interpretation, what does this mean? Well, the first horseman of the apocalypse is the conqueror on the white horse. It's a pretty good Bible, isn't it? He says, and I looked and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. So really what we have is the first horseman is the conqueror on the white horse. Now, the question always becomes is, well, who is this first person on the first horse? And anyone know the answer? We don't know. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say so. As I always tell you, listen, the best biblical interpretation I can give you is when the Bible is silent, what should we be? Silent also. We want certainty about everything, and we have a lot of certainty in a lot of things, but oftentimes, especially the book of Revelation, I've never seen pastors who take the Bible seriously be more creative than when you get to the book of Revelation. It's like all of a sudden they become artists. Like they, they find their second grade self and like, ooh, look at this. And, and they just start making stuff up. And you're just like, wow. Like I've heard, I've read Bible commentaries, hundreds of them. I've listened to tons of pastors. And it's amazing how everyone's all over the place with it. It doesn't tell us exactly who this is. Now, what is interesting though, is a lot of commentators would say, and if you held me down and tickled me and made me say what I actually thought, I would probably say there's probably a good chance this is the Antichrist, who we call the Antichrist. Now, I'll show you why. First, notice that he's on a white horse. If you know the book of Revelation at all, when Jesus returns, what kind of horse is he riding? A white horse. Now, this guy has a bow. When Jesus returns, he has a sharp two-edged sword. Jesus has a crown when he returns. This guy has a crown, but Jesus' crown is the Greek word diadem, which is the crown of a ruler. This guy's got a crown. Remember the Stephanos crown, the crown of the temporary victor? He's got a Stephanos crown. But this guy's going out conquering and to conquer. Now, what's fascinating about all of this is that there's two things that I want to say. First, of course, we know that the Bible talks about someone called the Antichrist. He's all through the scriptures and really in the book of Revelation. And what's interesting is the Antichrist is a his goal is to deceive people. He's going to get tremendous power, but he doesn't do it through violence. He actually does it through peace. So if you really look at what the Bible says about the Antichrist, it'll begin with a time of peace, 
And then in the middle of the time of peace, it will turn and like the Antichrist's true motives will be revealed. And then you'll see what they really are. But what's interesting about this, and we'll, and we'll see this all the way through, is that the fact that this guy is on a white horse, it's like Satan is only good at counterfeiting what God is doing. And we'll get later in the book of Revelation and there's, you know, you have like Satan and then the Antichrist and the guy they call the false prophet. You know, so they, like just as God is father, son, and spirit, Satan's got his own like little satanic trinity that he's trying to counterfeit. And it's just a good reminder that oftentimes the way Satan works is he actually works by trying to give you enough truth, but a little lie. Like there's that old saying, like a half truth is a whole lie. But so much of the ways Satan has worked historically to undermine the gospel and the people of God is to have a lot of things that are true and a couple of things that are jacked up. And because there's enough biblical truth in it, people grab onto it and they miss the kind of the, the species of deception that are caught within it. Now, I don't think we should be the kind of people who, you know, we already live in a world that's exceedingly judgmental. Everyone's looking down on everybody and everyone's evil. But I think that we just need to make sure, I always tell our, our staff, we keep the Bible in the right hand of strength. We let the Bible be the, the true north, the measuring rod. And we make sure that we don't get caught up in biblical doctrines that are like, they take one verse out of context, they run out there, this is the way it's supposed to be. Almost always when someone's really angry about a doctrine, it's always one verse taken out of context. And we t- when you bring up all the other verses, they're like, oh, wait, hold on, no, 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 oh, no, 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 this all matters, right? So we need to hear the Bible in context helps us. Because what you have here is like, I believe when the Antichrist arrives, it's going to be a time when everyone's going to be grateful because you're going to move from a time of a lot of conflict that you have peacefulness, which is something that's a good thing. But peace isn't the goal for the Antichrist. Conquering and to conquer is. And what's fascinating is Jesus did speak about this whole season, Revelation 6 to 19, in the Olivet Discourses. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have the Olivet Discourse. There are two chapters in each one. I'll give them to you quick. Read them in your own time. Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13 and 14, and then Luke 21 and 22. These three accounts in the three synoptic gospels, Jesus talks about the season. Listen to what Jesus says about the the rise of the Antichrist. Matthew 24, verse five, he says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So this idea that in the last days, there will be messianic figures who come on up and saying, I'm the Christ and they're gonna deceive many. What's interesting is Jesus said it this way in John chapter five, verse 43, where he says, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. So Jesus is saying, the reason I am rejected is because I don't come in my own name. I come in my father's name. But he's saying, but actually there'll be some later who come in their own name. And that's going to be the time when they're deceived because you're going to receive that person. Now, what's fascinating about all of this now, I'm not saying that the conqueror is the Antichrist. I'm not sure, but it sure seems like he's going out conquering the conqueror. We're going to keep seeing this ruler who's conquering and taking over and all these different things. But I think that idea of Jesus coming in his father's name and being rejected, and one's going to come in their own name, and they're going to be accepted, I think that's a very important thing for us to think through for a moment. Now, here's the deal. What Jesus does 
in each one of our lives, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, is Jesus wants to transfer the ground of your being from a self-generating, self-referencing idea of a self to now who you are is being referenced by who God is for us in Christ. And what we value now is not the things that we just choose to value or our parents taught us to value or our society tells us to value, but we begin to value the things that God values. So what you have for all of us, the big struggle in all of our growth in Christ, your growth and my growth, is the fact that we want to do things our own way. Isn't it true? I mean, we've all been marketed to in America. Have it your way, right? All we want, we want it our way. And then when we get it our way, we're like, good. And when we don't get it our way, we're like, this is lousy, right? And then we start to blame whoever isn't giving it to us our way, right? But the thing is, is because we live in a society that is self-referencing, and that if this continues, and I believe it will continue because more and more and more people are building their identities not on the reality that is the truest reality that they are, there is a God, that God created and sustains us and God has a purpose and plan for our lives. Without that, we are going to be left with everyone coming up with their own ideas about who they are, what they are, how things should go and their purpose. And then what you end up having is you have self-reference. And when the leader comes up and says, man, listen, you don't need to bow your knee to God. You just need to do you. Everyone's going to be like, yes. But can I tell you something? Remember I talked about deception, counterfeiting? There's nothing more counterfeiting than the you do you thing. Because you know what? There's some truth in that. You are you. I am me. Some of you are tall. Some of you are short. Some of you become a lobster in the sun. I'm like a hash brown. I get a golden brown. (laughs) Some of you are smart and I'm not. Like, it's like we're all different and we all have different gifts and talents. So there is something very biblical about you are you and you need to be the way that you are in Christ. But the thing is, when people say you do you, really what they're saying is it doesn't matter what everyone thinks. It doesn't matter what God thinks. You just do whatever the thing is that you want. And we're already seeing the fruit of the You reference yourself however you want to. We're seeing the fruit of it everywhere, in families, in our society. But what's amazing is, is the key is you need to do you in Christ. You need to be the person God made you in Christ. Because once you start having an identity outside of Jesus, the levels to which that can go is unbelievable. It's incomprehensible. And I believe that when the Antichrist comes into power, a lot of people are going to be celebrating it because it's going to be self-referenced, which our society is already. It's already. And what's amazing is it'd be easy to say, and listen, I don't want you to think that I'm saying this. It'd be easy to say, well, in the church, it's not like that because it totally is. I've watched more Christians have temper tantrums in the last two years than I had in the 20 years I was a pastor before that. And they're temperature over everything. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, every, you name it, I've seen someone lose their business over it. No, you laugh. I'm not laughing. I'm like, gosh. You know, but, but here's, the, here's the deal. It's, it's amazing because you're like, no, no. Do you realize that 
as a Christian, we get upset. But if we don't express ourselves with the fruit of the spirit, it's not Christianly at all. Like you can quote the Bible. And if you don't love your enemy, it's still satanic. Why do I say that? Who quoted the Bible to Jesus and didn't believe a word of it? Satan did. He had them memorized, but he wanted to undermine Jesus. So I'm looking at the world and I'm saying, what's really crazy right now is that if we're not careful, we're already living in the Antichrist age because we want to define ourselves not by who Jesus is and what he's done. We want to define ourselves by all these little niche groups that we find ourselves involved in. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have all different parts of life. But as Christians, our job is to be essentially Christian. And if our beliefs don't cause us to love our neighbors and our enemies, it's not a Christian belief. If our beliefs cause us to lack patience with someone for the way they drive, the way they dress, the way they vote, if you don't love them, it's not Christian. Now, it's amazing. It's like, that's almost like, I'm saying sacrilegious things that are the most biblical things I can find in my Bible. Because we live in this weird day and age. Why? Because all of us want to reference ourselves. We want to be self-generated. And when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, your life is not self-generated. It's generated through the finished work of you. It's cruciform shape. It's not ego. It's the cross. It's not the flesh. It's the spirit of God working through the finished work of Jesus. And I think what's going to be amazing, we shouldn't be surprised when the Antichrist arises. And I don't know that we'll see it. He might be on the scene. Like, who knows how it's all going to work? But what I do know is we shouldn't be shocked that people are going to be excited about it. Because he's going to come in his own name, self-reference, which is the world in which we live right now. Very fascinating, isn't it? Now, if we move on from here, and we still have three more horses to do in six minutes. (laughs) I told you the message was going to be a little top-heavy, so... Look what it says, verse 3, it says, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So the second horseman, of course, is the peace taker on the red horse. Pretty good, right? On a fiery red horse, peace is being taken from the earth. Again, do we know who this person is? No. What we do know is that the fruit of Jesus opening the second seal now is that we have this horseman who goes, and of course, the idea of a red horse obviously makes you think of you know the image of blood or slaughter, you know. And what we learn here is that with this horse, the one who sits on it's allowed to take away peace from the earth. And then what you start having is you have people dying. People are killing one another. Now, again, like I say this now, and I'm not saying that this is happening right this moment, but like I was just reading on the news in every major uh, metropolitan city right now, the homicide rates are through the roof. You know, we live in a day and age where we have all of the news from all over the world, and every single day when I open up to find out what happened in the world, I read about all sorts of horrible things that are going on where people are taking the lives of people. And of course, we have, you know, presently there's, a, there's a atrocities going on in Ukraine right now and in lots of other nations. And of course, Jesus, in talking about this in the Olivet Discourse, this is Matthew 24, 
6 and 7. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, when you hear all this, it's easy, and I think the biggest struggle that I pray about for us as a church family and as the greater body of Christ that I get a pleasure of speaking into in different ways is the fact that because we're so used to so much death, we start to become desensitized to it. And here's what I want to tell you, and you know this to be true, that our God loves life in all of its forms, right? And because our God loves life, the people of God should always be on the side of life. Always. Now, I realize we live in a complicated world, but if you're one of those people, I don't think anyone here has it. If you have one of those, like, you know, God bless America, especially our snipers, I respect what you're saying. You need to get that off your car. Because it's the wrong message. Because is that really how we should think about life? See, and again, I bring that up and I really just offended somebody. What else is new? Welcome back. (laughs) But I bring this stuff up because we live in a day and age because of modern American politics. The nobody, everybody has their own set of this is my garbage that I think is God honoring on both sides. Listen, I believe in a God who loves life. And so my job is to believe in life and to work for life and to advocate for life at every form, at every moment, without any exceptions. And I believe that if you're a Christian, you should too. Not because I'm saying it, because it's in your Bible. Our God loves life. And anytime somebody dies, it is a tragedy. Even when someone died, my, I love my grandma. She's 95 years old. And every time I talk to her, I'm like, this might be the last time I ever talked to my grandma. I, you know, I always talk to her. But here's the thing that I know. When my grandmother goes home to be with Jesus, her death is still a tragedy because God created us to live forever. Adam and Eve messed that whole thing up, man. But when people die because of other people's decisions and wars and mistakes and all this stuff... Christian's heart should always break because our God loves life. God is on the side of Jesus. I am the way, the what? The truth and the what? The life. And any Christian who doesn't have an overriding ethic of loving and cherishing life, we are missing exactly who Jesus is. Does that make sense? And so when I look at the second, now this is coming from Jesus because now everything's winding down. But up until that point, we should always be valuing life. In all of its forms, older people, younger people, all of it, no matter what their nationality is, no matter what their ethnicity is, no matter where they live in the world, the people of God have always been the greatest champions for life, from conception to going home. We should be always advocating for life, without exception. Jesus is Life should always be advocated for, as Pastor Daniel said today. And the best life to advocate for is one that's been redeemed by Jesus. No matter what age you are, what gender, what nationality, every single person can be saved. Who you are right now is known by God, and He loves you. He loves you so much, He sent His Son to die in your place. He's extending grace to you right now. And he wants to know you personally. 
So today, take a chance on new life. Let Jesus save you. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus' Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus' Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel will ask how you respond in times of victory and in times of defeat. He'll share that as humans, we don't always respond correctly in either of those circumstances. We don't always follow Jesus' example, but there's grace. There's a chance to repent, to start again, and we all need that. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, A Year of Revelation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.